Welcome to the podcast of Reformed Presbyterian Church of Beaumont, Texas. We are located at 4210 Crow Road in Beaumont. Our worship service times are 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. on Sundays. For more information about us, you can find us at www.rpcbmt.org. This week's episode is from our new series in the Book of Acts. We've entitled the series, The Extraordinarily Ordinary Life of the Church. This is an introduction to the book in general. May the Lord bless you as you listen. To the book of Acts. We wrapped up John last week, and we turn this week to Acts. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And verse 2. And we will introduce this book this morning. The first account I comprised, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. (coughs) The chances are you have brought with you, as we read off the title of the book of Acts, you brought with you thoughts about Acts. What you think Acts is about, what it is addressing, what's going on here in these 28 chapters. Uh, You... You probably have some influence by the broader culture, right? The, the broader evangelical culture, that is, not just the culture in general, but the broader evangelical culture, that this is, this is about all that the church is doing, right? Look at this. You, you've got the, the church being founded in Acts, and you would be wrong. But you have by some other people who would say, no, no, this is about the doctrine of the church, and, and it's only telling us how the church here is, is established after the ascension of Christ, what goes forward from there, and it's teaching us only that doctrine. Well, you too would be wrong. Those things are not at odds with one another. Uh, that the church, What the church is doing. Now, the founding of the church isn't here. That happened all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And so you need to not see Acts chapter 2 as some sort of thing where there hadn't been a church and now there's a church. No, 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 no. Stephen calls them the church in the wilderness. When we get to chapter 7, understand the church was what God called out from this world from the very, from the very beginning after the fall. So what is happening here? Well, what's happening here is that God is doing those two things. He's setting before us what the church was doing, and He's setting before us the doctrine of the church. Because you don't don't have a church that's not established by doctrine, and you can't just have doctrine that isn't taken and put to use by the church. As we get through Acts, what we're going to see is that God is... Well, he's giving us something very extraordinarily ordinary. He's giving us the life of the church. 
that there is great things that happen when God's people get together and they pray and they trust God to work. He does. And there are great things to understand about the depths of the church that God has established a true and right and good church. And you can't just willy-nilly make up what you want and call it a church. Look at those two things. The very extraordinarily ordinary way that God works. Too many people in our day come to the book of Acts and they, they see a few miracles and they see those things and they think that's what's supposed to be happening now. And that's because they, well, they have the activity and they're leaving off the doctrine. And there are those who come to Acts and they, they take in the doctrine and they understand what's being said there. And yet they are not driven to go. They are not driven to tell. They are not driven to serve. And that's because they have the doctrine and yet they haven't been stirred by the Spirit to go. And so I say all of that because we're introducing the book of Acts. And, you know, generally, introductions to the books of Bibles are not the most scintillating of times. And we're going to look at these two verses this morning under, well, I did my best to make it alliterated so that you can remember it and understand what we're seeing here as we begin Acts. And you're going to see four things. You're going to see the audience of Acts. You're going to see the author of Acts. You're going to consider the authenticity of Acts and the aim of Acts. I really wanted to use purpose, but I thought i got to keep it an A. I've got an A this far. Let's go for it. The aim of Acts. What's, what's happening here? What are we going to see? So the audience, the author, the authenticity, and the aim. So who's the audience of Acts? Theophilus. Theophilus is the one to whom this letter is written. Good. Now that we've got that cleared up, we can move on to point two. No, no, you have to ask some questions then. Who is Theophilus? What do we know about him? Where, where is he? All of those sorts of things because, well, Luke, I'm giving away the author, Luke writes to Theophilus here. We have to ask, who is Theophilus? Have, have we seen him before in the scriptures? Well, the answer is yes. You've seen it in Luke volume 1. We can call Acts Luke volume 2. But in Luke volume 1, beginning at verse 1. What do you have written there? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. There. you got the other place that he's mentioned. This letter is the second letter written to Theophilus. And you still don't know much about him, do you? Well, here's what we do know. We don't know much outside of here and that verse, but we can take internal clues from, from this book that Theophilus is likely a Roman official, right? 
He calls him in Luke chapter 1, most excellent Theophilus. Now, I can assure you that Luke had never seen Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. He's not using the words the same way that they did. Now, I've dated myself. Everyone born in the 80s knows that movie. Everyone born before that abhors that movie. Everyone born after that has no clue about that movie. But most excellent Theophilus. He's a Roman official. How can I say that? Well, it's a formal term of address. And we'll learn about Luke, that he's a man who's able to write formally, who has connections, he knows lots of people. He's a, he's a physician. We'll see that. And he's writing here formally to a Roman official. Because internally, in the book of Acts, most excellent is used again. It's used three other times. It's used to address Felix. It's used to address Festus. You get it in chapter 23, most excellent Felix. You get it twice, verse 23 and verse 26. You get it in chapter 26, addressing Festus, most excellent Festus. And so Theophilus is likely some guy that Luke met because he's a Gentile. And Luke is, well, we'll get to that. He's a Gentile. One um, that he's met, though, in his evangelism. He's an official interested in the spread of Christianity. Right? And for obvious reasons. What's this, what's this religion that's come up and spread among us? And then, so we need to consider the author. Who wrote Acts? Well, I've given it to you. Luke. Luke writes the book of Acts. You get that um, just by the basis of the style. You get it by the basis of the second letter, right? To Theophilus. The first one is Luke, the first volume. Luke is writing this one, writing to Theophilus a second time. So who's Luke? Well, Luke's a beloved physician. He's the, he's the first Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you will. He was a physician that was converted and then became an evangelist. Began preaching the gospel, being carried out. He's, he's an evangelist by, by virtue of his gospel. I mean, he's told the world about Jesus there. You, you've read it. Especially if you're doing the machine reading plan. You've just finished up Luke not that long ago. But he, he's a physician who's also an evangelist. By calling. In several parts, Luke, Luke writes, and he tells when it's not, when it's not him, he talks of they and them. But whenever he's going about and he, he is taking part in the labors and in the work, he uses words like we and us. So that you know that he's right there with Paul. Through it all. So that when he talks about spending a night and the day in the deep, he was there. When he talks about all the turmoil, the danger, the strife, he was there. Luke, Luke's a man who the Lord blesses. He, he's is delivered. He's brought up. He's a Gentile. He's the only Gentile author in Scripture. He writes about 27% of the New Testament. Right? Luke Luke writes the Gospel of Luke. He writes Acts. And if some, as some suppose, Hebrews is a sermon by Luke. Some think that. 
because of the style and so on. I think he's just recording um, another man's preaching, but you have to come on Sunday nights for that. Um, he, he wrote more than a third of it, if Hebrews is by him. So Luke is a physician. He's an, he's an evangelist, right? Acts 16.10 is important. That's where he begins the turn and starts talking about we and us. Uh, he's a fellow laborer and a sufferer for the sake of Jesus. Um, he suffered those hardships. He's a learned man, right? He's a physician. Uh, physicians, you know, he wasn't some kook, you know, a quack that was out there putting a triangle hat on people's head and doing a dance around them. He was a physician. They actually, you know, we think that we're always the best. Now, we've developed and we're thankful for it, but we're not the first. They had brain surgery in, in the B.C. days. I wouldn't want to have undergone it, but they were doing this. They understood medicine. They were working. This is, it develops out of what was given. He was a learned man. Those physicians had to go through training. You didn't just get to say you were a physician. Uh, and so his Greek is probably the most polished in the Bible. Um, he, there are times that he writes. He, he writes so that you know that he knows the, the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament. Uh, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. He writes with familiarity of it. He writes in a way that lets you know that he knows the Hebrew as well. Um, and so then when you read Luke 1, as we did, you, you note that he writes in a high Greek style uh, that's, that's fitting it's accepted form for him to write to this Roman official. He's not just scratching down things. No, he's got a point. We're going to get to that. His aim, his purpose. So, so who is Luke? Well, listen to John Stott. He says, Luke is a Gentile evangelist to the Gentiles. And he introduces his two volumes, two-volume history in such a way as to present it to the Greek-speaking literary world, to assert that it has a place with their great works of literature, and yet self-consciously bridging the gap to the Old Testament story of salvation. He continues his, uh, he continues his Benedictus of Simeon. Wait, he continues his story in a mode highly reminiscent of the Pentateuch and prophets, the Magnificat of Mary and the Benedictus of Simeon, reflecting almost word-for-word word prophetic predictions of the coming Savior. So the form of his writing is carefully crafted to match the story itself, the unfolding, the flowering of the promises to Israel in such a way that beginning from Jerusalem, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. In the name of Jesus to all nations. And so there you have it. Theophilus is the one who's being written to. He's a Roman official who has an interest in the spread of Christianity. Luke is a beloved physician. He's also an evangelist to the Gentiles who endures hardship for the sake of the gospel. He's not just writing as someone disembodied from all of this. He's right in the middle of it. And then... We get the authenticity of, well, of Acts. And to get that, we're going to look at what he says in Luke chapter 1. Right? There are five things that he says that he does in his writing. As he writes to Theophilus in the first book, you know that he's doing the same in this second book. Five, five things that he says. 
Number one, and as much as many have undertaken to a compi uh, compile an account of the things accomplished among us. He's writing to say, listen, the scripture has been fulfilled in Christ. This is how. That's, that's one thing that he's writing about. He goes on to say, just as they were handed down to us by those. Now, here he separates himself. This is how you know the authenticity. He, he separates himself. He's not taking on as some people do. You know, they, they hear a story. They tell it once and it's someone else's. They tell it a second time. It, well, it takes on a little more characteristic of their own. And then the next time they've just bought into it. And so I tell you about the time that I lived on the Appalachian Trail when I really was there for a month, two. I didn't live there. I was hiking for a little bit of time. People do that sort of thing. They, they've taken it. Well, Luke's carefully separating himself. He's saying, here I was, here I was not. And so he brings it out that these were eyewitnesses, doesn't he? That's the second thing. By those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. The third thing, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. He's investigating this. He is making sure that it lines up because, well, if it's not true, then nothing else matters. But if it's true, then nothing else matters. He is wanting you to know that what he is setting out is true. There's no falsehood in this. Christ really did come for sinners. Christ really was born of a virgin. Christ really lived a sinless life. He really was crucified. He really died. He really was buried. He was really raised. He's investigated it. He's going to tell you that he, the majority of people out there are still alive. In Acts chapter uh, 16, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, Paul talks about the eyewitnesses. More than 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. Most of whom are still alive. That means by the time Paul wrote that, at least 251 of them were still alive. They could be asked. And Luke... You can bet, probably investigated every one of them that was alive by the time he got to them. He wants you to know that this is true. He's looked into it. He's a man of intelligence. He's a man of honor. He's a man who has much at stake here. That's the, that's the next thing that he does. And then, and then, what does he say? So not only does he, does he investigate, he sets it out in writing. It's only after he's investigated it that he sets it out in writing, right? He says, I, I checked, I double-checked, I fact-checked, I went back, and I set it out in writing. And so that's what he does. And, and the fourth thing, to set out in writing for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, for one reason. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. He sets it out so that he may know the truth about what he's been hearing about this way. About these Christians. About those who are called believers. And so you, got, you have those five stages that, 
that are set out before us. And so then you move beyond that and you get to Acts 16.10 again. He begins drawing himself in. We, as he includes himself. And that's important. That's very important so that we might take what he says and know that it's an account of history. That it is exactly as he says. He makes those careful distinctions where he's involved and where he's not. It's actual and true. And so as he wrote, um, he's, he's writing what's true. This isn't, again, some romanticized view of the first century written later. Right? A lot of times we look back. In, in our day, I have no idea why people do this. They look back to the Victorian era or the Elizabethan era. And they look back and they romanticize them as if those were the times of perfection and those were the times that sin didn't happen and everything was raised, uh, golden sunshine. They didn't have antibiotics. That's not a golden age. There was still sin. Luke's not romanticizing anything. You get told, you get told of sin. You get told of the reality of life in the church. He's writing a true story. And he's covering for us from the time of the ascension of Christ around AD 30 till, well, around AD 64 when Paul's in prison right before his death. Right? Two years before he dies. He's covering from Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the martyrdom of Peter and Paul. And, And so... It's all within, within the time frame. Um, because if, if Paul and Peter were the same age, you know, you can take it, just taking guesses here. If they were the same age as Jesus, they would have been, they would have been about 64 when they died. Uh, and even if they were younger by 10 years, they still would have been in their 20s when Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And, and you can't forget the overlap, right? He's bringing all of that in. As he writes, he lets you know that Peter met Paul, Paul met Peter. You've got the the interaction between the Gentiles and you've got the interaction with the Jewish Christians. You see all that comes to them, how how Paul ravaged the church and all of those things, setting it out. Because the reality is, as he writes, you need to understand that Paul, Paul probably heard Jesus speak. You can't forget that. You can't forget the overlap. Paul... Paul, and even if, even if he wasn't nearby, he was with those who heard Jesus speak. And, and before that, when he hears Stephen, well, he hated him. Right? And he ravages the church. And he hated the church for his conversion. And so we have no doubt, as he sets before us, warts and all, these men, no reason to doubt the authenticity of Luke. Now, we get to the aim or the purpose of the, the book of Acts. What is the reason that he is writing? Here's where your Bible has it wrong. You say, well, wait a second. What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? He's gone off the rails. He's a theological liberal. No, no. But look at, look at the title page of your Bible right there. What does it say? The Acts of who? The apostles. That is a lie. I mean, they're there. This book is not about Peter and, and, and Paul. This book is the follow-up 
to all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is a book about Christ and the work that He is doing at, after His resurrection through His church. We don't do anything by our might, by our power. It's all by the Spirit of God that Jesus has poured out. This book is a Christocentric book. It is pointing us to Christ, drawing us back to Him. Yes, it's an account of history. It doesn't tell us every single thing that happens. That's not how history is written, right? Every history textbook that's out there, every history book that's ever been put out is written with an aim and with a purpose. And yes, he tells us about Peter and James and Paul, um, but he writes selectively. What does he tell you about Thaddeus? What does he tell you about Thomas? Right? He's writing with a purpose so that you can understand what God is doing, right? Who are the two main branches? You've got Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. He's writing to tell you what happens with Peter on this side and with Paul on that side so that you can see the glorious picture of God's redemption as He promised it in the Old Testament to His church all the way through. And so He writes with a purpose. He writes with purpose. He describes the spread of the gospel north and west, but not, not east or south. Other than telling us about the conversion of the Ethiopian. Um, he talks about the church in Jerusalem right after Pentecost, right? Those early days right after Pentecost. But after that, he follows the Apostle Paul. And so, why? Well, there, there's more than one reason. There's the there's the immediate reason, because the Roman Empire was concerned about the spread of Christianity, right? And, and Luke's writing to help their attitude about it, to tell them, look, we're, we're, we're not the bad guys here. This is who we are. Listen, there are others who have shown respect to believers. There are those who understand the way, those who have been redeemed, and they are Roman officials, you know, you've got uh, Sagius Paulus, the proconsul of Cyprus. You've got Cornelius, the centurion. They were consistently friendly with Christianity. They found nothing between their lives and their country of identity that, that would separate them. As a matter of fact, they became better citizens because of it. Right? Theophilus is probably worried. What's going on near me? And Peter say, or Luke is saying... Those who are coming to you, those who are scattered and dispersed and coming under your care, under your watch, those who are under your official capacity, those who name the name of Christ, you don't have to worry about them. No, He's done a work in them. They're not out, they're not out to get you. The, the Roman officials found no fault in Jesus or the apostles. They even apologize to Paul, don't they? They get there and He goes, you know you beat a Roman citizen. And they're like, oh, we are so sorry. Why don't you sneak out this way? And he goes, uh-uh. No, no, no. You, you bring me out. And, and so he uses his citizenship, which something teaches us there. That we have privilege where we are. Use it. But that's, that's for another day. That's for another day. So what's happening here? What's the purpose? He's telling us all that Jesus began to do in Luke. And Acts and Luke form a, a single continuous work. That's testifying to Christ. Uh, Luke, from the birth of Jesus to the ascension. Acts, from the ascension of Christ going forward, even after the ascension.
And so then it's a Christocentric look at the world after the resurrection. Well, what was that world like? Well, it turned the world on its ear. That's what you're going to hear. What, what happened in the resurrection of Christ and how it empowers these men by the pouring out of the Spirit turns the world on its ear because Christ's work is not finished. We just read it. We confessed it. That Christ, while His disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until He comes again. His work is not finished. There are other sheep being brought in. There are those who will be hearing the message even years after our death, possibly, unless He returns before them. Christ's work is not finished. He works in His church. That even now, He's working in, in, the Acts, in the book of Acts, He's working through the apostles and by sending the Holy Spirit. And what He begins then, began uh, in what He begins then through sending them out in that way, He continues now. And so Jesus is at work today. The book of Acts is not just history for them and for us to go, good job, church of the early centuries. No, it's to shore you up that you understand that what He began then, He works at now. Through His church, carrying out His mission. He's going to give it to us, right? You shall be My witnesses, He tells us. And so the church has been given a mission. And that mission is to testify of Christ. That mission is not to be an educator of all the world or to end all the poverty of the world. That mission is to declare the glory of Christ. Now, we'll get to it, but people stirred up and changed by the gospel? Well, they go out and educate people. And they go out and feed people. And they go out and serve people. That's exactly what happens to us. That's what makes us better citizens than others. Our selfishness has been stamped out. Or is being stamped out. Or hopefully will begin to be being stamped out. But Jesus is at work. And He's at work through His church. So that we... We declare His person and work because He still works today. And so what do we do with an introduction to a book? Right? Got a lot of information here. It's written to Theophilus. He's a Roman guy. Luke's an educated guy. It's an authentic book. There's an aim to it that we might see Christ and what He's doing. Well, we need to read the Bible and understand that when Peter... When Peter says that we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which we do well to pay attention, it's here. It's a lamp shining in a dark place. We read it knowing it's true because it's the word of God. But we read it knowing that in it, in it he has a work for us. And so then he tells us this. We will get to all that he sets before us, as we see it from, from him in verse 4 of Luke 1, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And so you read these pages as we read through Acts in the coming weeks, in the coming days. Read through it knowing, knowing that it's, it's not primarily about what we are to do. 
It's not primarily about what, what we are to believe. You go, well, wait a second, that's the catechism question. Well, it's first and foremost about Christ and what He has done and who He is. And then it's about what, what we are to believe concerning God and what duty He has for us. You see, doctrine without duty is haughtiness. Duty without doctrine is insanity. And Luke writes Acts to keep us from both. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we pray that you will cause us to, to hear your word and to